Ulster's chances of success in the Pro 14 too, um, as this rather bizarre campaign finally reaches its climax again, hopefully. Uh, we have a few of your listener questions to debate, but before we get to all that, there are more pressing matters perhaps with um, the new protocols introduced down south, which obviously impacts the Aviva Stadium. Jonathan, can you tell us a little bit about these and the possible impact for the running of uh, these next few interpro fixtures? Well, obviously the restrictions that are coming in are essentially a step backwards. So while there had been, certainly maybe a month ago when these fixtures were announced, hope that there could have been fans in the stadium at some point um, within the cap that at the time I think was scheduled to go up to 500. Now obviously 500 in 51,000 seater stadium still dropping the ocean, but better than nothing obviously. So that's now seems very distant, I think. They've um, gone away from the cap of 200 now. Um, the RFU, I suppose, here essentially running the games in the Aviva Stadium, um, had a list of essential people to run the game, including broadcasters. And I think they were at about 204, 205 um, during the week there. So... It's not clear at the minute whether that number is going to have to be paired back, but you were talking about um, certainly at the weekend they were saying that you know you'll only be even be allowed twenty five players. Um, normally, especially for a home game for Ulster, or a game on the island of Ireland, they would have a lot more extra players than you would have um, ordinarily just because somebody goes down in the warm up or whatever. So. Um, yeah, you're going to have 25, so you're basically going to have a spare front rower, you would think, and mm-hmm. maybe a spare halfback, possibly, um, to cover all eventualities of somebody getting injured in the warm-up, which it does happen and certainly isn't an impossibility under this scenario where players are um, really ramping up the intensity very quickly. So... While there may be further complications to the actual running of these things, the games are going to go ahead as things stand, are they? Well, certainly at present, like, um, but like, in typical fashion, like um, we're recording this before the announcements of Monday's COVID nineteen test in the Monster Camp, which is obviously the big. Um, mm-hmm area of attention after what happened last week so the results of that are going to be out today on Wednesday and if it's a clean bill of health it certainly sounds like at present and things are going to go on as planned Mm -hmm. if you get a late welcome result in those tests it might be a different story but yeah and fingers crossed we can get a few cameramen into the FIFA there and our else live blogging or reporting on the games could be interesting well there will there will be cameramen um because presumably a huge part of the reason we're playing these games is, is 
to get them on TV. <laughs> and I think there are there are going to be two photographers certainly on that list. So maybe one at each end. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. At least we will hopefully then have, have rugby to look forward to all being well with these tests that will be out uh, later today. So providing these games are going to go ahead, they will be without a few Ulster players now. We obviously knew already that Ian Henderson and Will Allison were both going to be sitting out the, the remainder of the, the season. But now Ulster are also going to be without Robert Balakoon for a, a significant period of time and Sean Reedy for the rest of this Pro 14 season anyway. Michael, how significant, given um, the, the two injuries from last week, how significant are these additional two now in terms of Ulster now being without four, you would assume, normally guaranteed starters? Well, injuries are always part of the course. But the, these, these, these guys are significant, I think. Sean Reedy is a very... Uh, efficient and hard-working flanker and, and, and I think uh, dovetails very well uh, within Ulster's you know, usual starting back row. He's a workhorse really uh, who puts in a huge amount of, of effort around the pitch. They do need him there. It's not the end of the world. They, they can get around that but I think his loss is, I think is significant as is Robert Balakoons uh, who was really on form there before we shut down um, to the Pro 14 and, and, and was looking... Um, you know, he was, he was he was looking better and better as, as time went on. A really good strike rate for tries, but also he's so much more to him as well with his defending. Not always what you come to expect from people playing out in the wing. Um, has been showing up time and again to be very very solid. And in fact, Dan McFarland, you know, I think has, has never shied away from saying how impressive a defender he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, very significant. But they can they can work around it. Um, they do have a number of other players who can come in, presuming that they're all 100% into the back three. For instance, Robert Little is another player. We've probably forgotten about him, but he is another player who I think has increasingly, when he's been used, um, has looked good uh, in dance time and scores tries. Uh, he, he's able to do that and sniff out scores, which is kind of what you want. Mm-hmm. And the back row itself, well, you can kind of get round. Really, I, I do think Reedy is a, a very significant loss, but you can get round it. Um, you know, with the likes of Nick Timoney coming in, you know, also with Jordy Murphy and Marcel Katsia there, and maybe, um, you know, it, you know, it kind of works with Matty Ray in there as well, so they can get round it. But that's not what you need at this stage, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when you've lost the likes of Henderson for such a period of time, um, and before you've even played. Now, we assume Robert Balakoon's injury, the way it was described, he was jackling over the ball, which is, you know, kind of going over the ball to try and secure it while planting both his legs, you know, mm-hmm. in a breakdown. Mm-hmm. So that was clearly, well, wasn't I don't think it was explained, perhaps in one of the full-on contact games. So that is, that is a really unfortunate um, situation for him if that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how Reedy uh, picked up his knock, but again, um, you know, it's a calf injury, could have come at any time. It's not ideal, but, I, you know, I think they can work around it. I, I still think that's not going to preclude them from hopefully achieving what they want to, which is knockout rugby in the Pro 14 as a first mm-hmm. base, if you like. Well, Dan McFarland was understandably particularly annoyed about Robert Balakoon's injury, so here's just a little clip of what Dan had to say about it yesterday. It's a hamstring avulsion that occurred in a jackal position, so it's one of those injuries sustained in a mechanism that you can't do anything about. You know, 
get caught in that position and, and put in that mechanism, it, uh, that's that's what ends up happening. So for him, that's really upsetting. You know, he's got something. Uh, he's got something special that uh, a lot of people uh, would love to have, and that's his speed. But uh, as a as a as a player himself, he's a really good learner. Uh, defensively, he's excellent. His speed helps him a lot there. But he, he's also a smart learner, uh, a smart defender. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. These things, uh, the, the, these things happen, and he's uh, he's a mentally tough guy, and, and he'll work through that. And in the meantime, we're uh, we're we're blessed here with a, a number of back three players who uh, are equally talented. Jonathan Balakun's injury came, as Michael said, at not a particularly opportune moment for him, given the form he was in, given the spate of Ireland fixtures coming up over the next few months. How big a blow is this for him, career-wise? Well, if you look at his trajectory, um, this is still technically his second season as a senior player. I think it's yeah, he turns he turns twenty three today, so um, still a very very young guy. But even just the way it was described, like you don't often hear like words like upsetting being used to describe um, rugby injuries, which is what Dan said in that clip there. Um, as Michael said, I think it was in the one of the contact games on Saturday uh, in a jackal position, which sort of instantly takes you back to that sort of Paul O'Connell injury against France in the World Cup. Now, obviously, Balakin's 12 or 13 years younger than O'Connell was there, but it sounds, you know, when they put it in terms of a couple of months, it sounds like it's going to be a significant chunk of this season, really, mm-hmm. and that you're going to be missing him for. So... From an Ulster perspective, you're missing out on someone that scored six times in those last seven starts. So it was really, besides me and Try throughout before the lockdown, and in terms of his development, obviously, it was a fairly rapid ascendancy, but he'd got himself into the fringes of that uh, of that Ireland team before. And now you're pretty much going to be starting again um, in a number of months' time. You know, James Lowe is going to be qualified by then. So... It'll obviously be a job to come back. It'll take him a while to get back up to full speed, as it were, especially for a winger with a hamstring injury like that. But mm-hmm. um, as Dan said, you know he's uh, he's a mentally tough guy. He's come back from injuries before. He's worked his way into the setup from not being on the radar at all, really. Um, so while it's going to be hugely frustrating for him now, mm-hmm. you you mentioned career there. Obviously, he's still got a lot of career ahead of him. Yeah. Okay, good. Good news because I, I was worried. I was concerned. I'm concerned just about the, the next few months because watching Ulster just isn't going to be the same without him. What can we expect then from Ulster's back line, first of all, in terms of being without those four key players? If we're looking at a strongest Ulster uh, starting 15 coming up for these next few games, what can we expect for the back line. We can work on our first listener question here uh, because in term, if we start off with the halfbacks, Kenny Gadd asks, who should the first choice 10 be? Now, presumably it's still going to be Billy Burns on Sunday? Yeah, like sort of as we said last week, like Burns is the incumbent and it's up to Madigan to uh, take minutes off him. I think Madigan said himself, it's probably going to be, he's going to have to do that by impressing off the bench. So Burns is still 10. Um, Cooney's obviously still your nine. Interesting, uh, Steve McCluskey talking about um, James Hume and Stuart Moore 
yesterday, and now James Hume mm-hmm. sort of got name checked by Dan in the way that he uh, drops young players in. He impressed in uh, impressed in preseason. It's something mm-hmm. that he does sort of every year, normally mm-hmm. unprompted. So it was it was James Hume was uh, was this year's mention, and McCluskey certainly intimated that you know if the pressure's not on now, it's going to be on very soon, sometime this season. He seemed to think so. Those guys are pressing, but I think you're still going to see. McCluskey and Marshall with that yeah. successful partnership that they were forging. Stockdale, obviously, at 11. 14 is interesting, and it'll be interesting to know what Michael thinks on this because you could Gilroy, he's obviously by far the most experienced. Um, you've got Matt Faddy's back and fit. So it'll be interesting to see what he brings to that mix, I think. Um, when not playing through injuries, I think he said himself that. He wasn't doing himself or the team any favours, ultimately trying to play through, through those injuries um, in his first year. Um, and and well, Little, who uh, is someone that, as Michael pointed out there, has, has been forgotten about. And you're talking about somebody that uh, was playing Heineken Cup games um, as recently as, you know, October, or sorry, November. Um, so he's certainly there. And then you've got Ludic as... An uber reliable fullback option to fill in for uh, for Addison when he's out. So, to me, I think assuming that you go Ludic at fullback, now you could also go Fadis at fullback, you could go Mike Lowry at fullback, but I think you've got a number of options there to fill that spot that we um, all can safely presume that uh, Robert Balakum is going to fit into. What do you think, Michael? Who would you put in at, at 14? Well, I, I think that. Um, Ludic is likely to be the 15. Um, yeah. I think Dan's the primary objective here is to win this game. There's no need for any uh, you know singing and dancing stuff. And, and and as he's alluded to, with such a break in games, it probably won't be. It will be staccatoed. It likely will be quite scrappy. Um, I think he'll go with the tried and tested to get this game done and dusted, mm-hmm. which means. That Louis, of course, bearing in mind that Louis has shown up okay in, in the training, we, we, we obviously don't know, we haven't seen him for ages. Um, I think he'd go with Louis at 15. And I think, my hunch is, if, if Little's fit, he might go with Little at 14, uh, as opposed to including Fadas from the start um, and, and Gilroy. Um, that, that would be my gut feeling. I think Dan likes Little. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Rob is fit and firing, He's a really good option because he scares the living, you know what, out of defences when he gets the ball. He just, you know, his stepping, it, it scares people. And it would give you that, just that little bit extra where Louis provides that extra solidity at fullback. And also Little, there's a little bit more to him as well, I think. He, as far as I can remember, and it's so long now, isn't it, since we saw any rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a decent enough kicking game in a hand. And, you know, he just has a little bit more about him. Um and then it would be a you know what what to do with Fadis and Gilroy um, if there was a you know that bench option if, if they were to be used. Mm-hmm. That's my feeling, but you know that's that dark. You know we've no idea. <laughs> there's nothing to base this on at all. Nothing really except just you know gut feel. Yeah, this could be a big few months coming up for for Rob though with Robert Balakoon's injury. It's a big opportunity for him. It, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, Johnny, you know, I, I had largely forgotten anyway about him. He just came into my mind there just prior to coming on because it, he'd been out so long. But he had been playing very well before he, he got that knock 
Was it was it in the Bath game? I can't remember now when we last saw him. He, he definitely did get a knock in the Bath game. He scored a try in that game as well. Yeah, yeah. But he yeah. was a good, good try scoring form. Yeah. Uh, he played the early part of the season. And the only time he played after that was he got 24 minutes starting at fullback against Leinster just before Christmas. That was the last time he played. Obviously, the, the sort of shadow side, um, yeah. mm-hmm. they went down to the RDS and ended up actually coming away with a fairly credible point. But yeah, um, yeah, I think. What's your thinking? I, I actually, I like that. I like the idea of Rob Little if he can stay fit. Like if you look at his try scoring mm-hmm. record when he's been fit, like yeah. it's right there, you know. Um, and I, yeah, you you know, you mentioned his kicking game. Obviously, we've seen him even. Be a place kicker in the past for Ulster and definitely at schools level. So um, he does have a good foot on him, um, as does Stockdale. So it gives you, um, in what might be a, shall we say, um, stunted game, yep. if you have the reliability of Ludic at the back to field, mm-hmm. kicks at the backfield, and then you've got two wingers who can both put uh, length by the ball. Because as well as the rust, it's going to be bad conditions, it looks like, you know. We're all to talk about uh, what summer rugby's going to bring. It sounds like it's going to pour down on Saturday, so... <laughs> Sunday? Yeah. Sunday, sorry. Oh, Sunday. oh yeah, Sunday, yeah. Well, it'll probably pour down on Saturday as well. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Rob Little also got uh, got married recently, just a few weeks ago, to uh, Natalie Barr. He used to play hockey for Ireland, so congratulations uh, to Rob. So what about the pack? Very young to be getting married, is it? Like 22, 23? <laughs> 23, yeah, 23. When you know, you know, Jonathan. Um, what about the pack then? Obviously, Henderson and Reedy, the two uh, big players missing from the pack. So, Michael, what would your, your first choice pack be there for uh, for Sunday's game? Uh, well, bearing in mind that people are, you know, all available and, you know, and haven't been, you know, sort of not been... I haven't been sidelined, but not included on in the injury list. Um, Jack McGrath, I would go with obviously Rob Herring, um, and then I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. We'll see what Johnny thinks. Uh, ideally, it would be Marty Moore, but you never know. Tom O'Toole might they might have a look at Tom O'Toole there, but there might might be an issue over that. I don't know. I would say Sam Carter and Alan Connor uh, in the engine room, and the back row will be some sort of combination of. Jordy Murphy, Marcel Cuccio, obviously, and then it's a question of, uh, I guess, whether it's, uh, say, Timoney or Ray. So really, in my opinion, there are just two, perhaps two areas there mm-hmm. that, that, that may be open to debate as to what Dan actually does. But other than that, I, I think it largely picks itself. And what about those two areas, Jonathan? I think uh, I think we might see Ray start at six again. <laughs> We're not basing it so much because <laughs> nobody's seen anything. <laughs> yeah. And I'd say there's a real possibility that um, Ray and Timoney will make three starts between them in these two games um, that are coming up. And I think you'll see the same in the second row with uh, Treadwell, um, O'Connor and Carter. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Tom O'Toole start either, to be honest. As like as good as I think Marty Murray's been. Um, O'Toole again. You're thinking back six months now, but whenever uh, whenever rugby stopped, O'Toole was um, 
becoming man, as it were, getting into that, uh, getting into that wider Ireland squad, and essentially becoming really the, you know, he was one injury away from essentially getting capped in the, mm-hmm. the first three games of the yeah. Six Nations. And he's only twenty-one at the moment. I think he's mm-hmm. soon to be probably twenty-two. But I mean, for a prop, that is like you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's really and like Marty Moore, Marty Moore, I think has added an awful lot more to his game in terms of involvement. So that's something that um, they've really targeted. Him and Dan McFarland, I, th- I think it's one a minute that is their target, whether that be hitting a rock, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, it can be, it doesn't have to be an eye catching carry, but just in the absence of Henderson, then O'Toole does give you a ball carrying threat as well if he can uh, if he can get his hands on it and keep them on it. That's right. Um, as well as that, you know, Marty's scrummaging might be considered to be uh, better, perhaps, than Tom's at the moment. Though, you know, Tom's still learning his trade. You, you keep learning your trade, obviously, a prop anyway, but at, at, at such a young age, Marty's experience uh, might give him the edge in that area, but I'm not so sure that that's necessarily one of the overriding factors of this game. Um, Ulster may, may feel that if they went with O'Toole, they'd still be okay against Connick's front row. The only thing I suppose to remember is that uh, assuming Dennis Buckley is going to start, he's um, he's given Ulster and, I believe, O'Toole, like, Hard times in the past. Uh, always seems to have a great game at the scrum um, against Solstice. Like he's a very good player. He has good games against other teams too. But um, he's given them fits in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, what can we expect then, uh, Johnny, from that Connacht team? Do we know much? Obviously, unlike Ulster, they're uh, highly unlikely to be preparing themselves for knockout rugby coming up. Rather, this will be maybe something of a, a pre-season. What way can we expect them to approach this game? Well, they're in a really bizarre situation because, you know, we talk about Ulster and Leinster and fighting on two fronts and potentially having this run of, you know, straight knockout games after these interpros and how do you manage that? Connacht essentially have two games and then another month of pre-season before the Pro 14 touch wood starts. Like, for me, that's probably too far to really consider them as proper pre-season Hitouts because I think you're going to lose the benefit of that over the four weeks that you have to, or five weeks that you have, then have to wait. So, Andy Friend was doing media in Galway yesterday, and uh, well, Zoom media in Galway, and um, as everybody is, was talking about the possibility of essentially picking two completely different starting sides just to give as many players a run here because they're not going to, you know, they're not in a position of having to manage their squad through um, a really concerted block of games at the minute. They're going to have two weeks on, four weeks off, two or three weeks on. Then it's going to be the Champions Cup final, so that's going to be another week off. And then you're in the, the Pro 14, and it remains to be seen really um, what the Pro 14 fixture is going to look like fixture-wise through that run of international games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing he's going to make is a 100th appearance and um, that was much much talked about yesterday, so I think we can safely assume it's going to be an interesting battle between him and probably McCluskey. It's going to be one of the sort of standouts, head to heads that we like to look at in these interpros. Mm-hmm. But if if Ulster then are, are approaching this game on a an entirely different level, like surely we can be 
very confident of Ulster being, being able to, to get a favourable result here, Michael? I'd like to think so, but um, it's just not it's not that straightforward. You can't really uh, make these assumptions. I think at this juncture, having what you know, taking him uh, taking into account the background um, to this game on paper, yeah, they should um, and they should have enough uh, to, to do the job. Um, I'd be very surprised if they didn't put it that way. I'll not stick my neck out to it, definitely will. But I'd be very surprised if, if they weren't able to, to do it. But yeah, I mean, they could be caught cold. Connacht mustn't be also dismissed anyway, despite the, the situation they find themselves in coming in here. You simply can't do that. Um, they, they, have, they, can, they, they, they can play, and they're, they're a good team. Andy Friend is, done, is doing good work down there, and you know they, they could ambush them. No doubt about that, but I'd be very surprised if they did. Yeah. The added bonus, of course, for Ulster in terms of getting a result here would be that with, as Dan was talking about yesterday, with such a packed fixture list coming up, five games in a row potentially, more, if they can get a result here, it means they can rest anybody and everybody they want against Leinster next week because they've already got their semi-final spot secure. But as you guys say, there is that unknown about what rugby is really going to look like this weekend. How have Ulster been preparing, Jonathan, over the last few weeks for uh, just such a, a strange return to competitive action? Yeah, um, it's probably one of the more sort of interesting aspects of yesterday's press conference. Just um, Dan talking about the different ways in which they've really tailored this preseason um, to what they're going to be facing come Sunday. So you basically had like what would have been considered old um, provincial trials, if you like, of two sides of 15 going at each other in training mm-hmm. um, with referees. Um, training, certainly during the season, um, is very, very rarely full contact. It's not something that um, the teams do because, frankly, they take enough contact uh, mm-hmm. during games, whereas by the very nature of this season, having to get up to speed, really, without pre-season friendlies means that they've had to get that contact before mm-hmm. the games, if you like, in training. Is that why we've seen these injuries? Well, I had sort of wondered about that myself, but then when you look at it, you know, Addison and Henderson's injuries were long-standing. Yeah. Uh, Balakoons was so well. Sorry, Balakoons sounds like it was in a full contact um, situation, but it wasn't a. It wasn't because of taking contact. It was yeah. the danger of the breakdown, if you like. And Reedies is a muscle strain, the kind of muscle strain that sometimes happens when you're doing um, pre-season after mm-hmm. an absence. So to me, it sounds like it would be. It would be easy to say that that's why they're starting the season with four players that would be starting injured, but I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think it's the case, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone, so anyone that's watched rugby starting in New Zealand or Australia or England there over the weekend will have obviously know, heard plenty about the new uh, new interpretations of various laws, especially the uh, especially the breakdown laws having to roll towards the sideline rather than the try line when leaving the tackle area. Um, 
produced an awful lot of penalties um, in the start of games uh, we saw in New Zealand and the Harlequins, may, maybe not as big in England, but certainly in the Harlequins, uh, Harlequin Sale game, that kicked things off on Friday night. There was an awful lot of it. So Ulster have actually had referees in, refereeing their training session, refereeing these contact games and whistling breakdown infractions as they will be presumably whistled on uh, mm-hmm. on Saturday and Sunday night. These things, as we know, are all open to interpretation. Um, come the game anyway, like different referees will yeah. interpret these new directives differently. So there's still going to be a feeling that out process, as we've seen in all the other leagues. But that's another, you know, that's another thing that has been really um, focused upon in this uh, in this return, and something that they've gone back to. I don't know how much stock you put in this or not, but obviously Ulster normally train in. Perry Park and then do captain's run and the odd thing kicking positions that sort of thing in in Ravenhill but they've done the vast majority of their training at the minute since they've been in Ravenhill mm-hmm. which you would assume is because of um, they're able to secure the environment but it's also had the benefit of having them play an awful lot in an empty stadium and there's mm-hmm. a difference between 17,000 stadium and a 51 seater as I say, him like the Aviva, um, but it's something that they have pointed to mm-hmm. in terms of being more prepared to play in front of no uh, no fans. Mm-hmm. And it's the loosest thing they can get to a fifty one thousand seater stadium. Um, well, that's it. But um, I like I hadn't really considered this too much. But um, I was talking to Andy Trimble this morning there just for a different thing. Um, he's obviously going to be doing the game for. Premier, and he's uh, telling me he's got a new podcast out, so it's not going to be uh, Baz and Adam's House of Rugby anymore. It's going to be mm-hmm. uh, Potholes and Penguins is, is their new one, same, same format. So I'm going to listen to that when I walk the dog later. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, he was saying that you know players are in empty stadiums an awful lot more than fans, if you know what I mean. So like they have open sessions in the Aviva with Ireland where there's very few fans. They obviously have their captains run in stadiums when there's no fans. So while it may seem eerie, I suppose, when they're going out and there's no like cheer when they're taking the field or anything like that, he's of the opinion that it'll sort of fade into the background quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously nobody's played more games for Ulster than him, so he'd be uh, as yeah. much of an authority on that as you can get. Yeah. Michael- we, might, we, might have piped, we might have piped crowd noise as well. I- I'm not entirely clear if they're going to do that. I think their intention was to do it, but I don't think it's absolutely certain yet. Yeah, because yeah, it's going to be whether, obviously some sports have done it with yeah. the broadcast and then other sports are doing it in in the actual stadium. Actually into the stadium? Yeah. Don't, don't know about that. And that's what we think uh, might happen, do you Well, something is is has been up for discussion. I was, like you, Johnny, I was talking to Stephen Ferris yesterday, who's working for them, he was saying that something is being discussed to create noise. Yeah. He wasn't sure if it was in the stadium or whether it would be, you know, used as, as a soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it, it has it has been talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, given these new interpretations of the laws and a bit of expected rustiness from both sides, what sort of a what sort of a game, what sort of a nature of a, a rugby match are we set for on Sunday? I wouldn't get terribly excited about a great spectacle. Um, I think 
<laughs> there's been it's been such a long time. There are there, I mean the referees were brought in as we we talked for the re, for that very reason to connect to all the provinces to, to try and give them some idea about how this this might work. I think there'll be a lot of whistle, um, and we've kind of seen that elsewhere too. Um, hopefully a game of rugby will break out at some point, but <laughs> I think the most important thing is that they just get on the pitch and they get a game played. Mm-hmm. First and foremost on, 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 on Saturday, and then Ulster again on Sunday. I think that if these games get played, um, that in itself will be a bonus. And yeah. I can't think, I, I don't feel that you can expect you know, uh, great, flowing, wonderfully exhilarating rugby at this at this juncture. Yeah. Well, what about the Pro 14 in general? Ulster, all being well, barring unforeseen catastrophe, are going to be playing a semi-final, and in all likelihood, that will be against Edinburgh, who are two points above Monsters it stands, but with back-to-back games against Glasgow. Is that unfair in Glasgow? Or uh, in, is it? can we be fairly certain they're going to play Edinburgh here? Glasgow are in a sort of weird situation. It's one of those things that's not really um, got too much traction, I think, just because obviously teams aren't doing media and there's just not been an awful lot of um, rugby, or certainly modern rugby in the paper. has been a lot of nostalgia pieces, but... Um, Yes, yeah, so Glasgow don't have a fullback anymore. So they're basically going to try, it sounds like they're going to try and convert Hugh Jones into being a fullback because they simply don't have one in their squad, um, which is odd, for starters. <laughs> Very. Um, obviously, they've lost Dave Rennie as their coach. He's gone to, uh, gone to Australia, having originally intended to see out this season. So um, that's something new to adjust to. And Nakawara, who's... Um, anyone who's watched the Pro 14 um, over the last sort of five or six years, obviously he's a little bit older now, but um, was certainly one of the best players in the league when he was in his first spell at Glasgow. He's still uh, he's still out in Fiji um, with his wife having given birth, so they're going to be missing him as well. So I wouldn't be putting money on them. I'll put it that way. And obviously, if Edinburgh win, then that has the double effect of. Ulster likely playing Edinburgh with all Adam Tails, including having to travel for a, for a semi-final, um, but also means that Ulster's result would be rendered essentially meaningless before they play. Ah, uh, very true. Yes, because if Glasgow are beaten, then Ulster's are correct. Okay. Well, that's it. Some what some Saturday, you know, there won't be any time to readjust. No. Just have ahead and uh, uh, you know, working on the basis that you know they have to win. They the have game. to win. No other way they can. No. No, we can get the classic GAA dummy team sheet, whereas uh, <laughs> they, they name their team on Friday and it's completely different from the players on, on Sunday. I don't think that'll happen because like, these guys yeah. will need, yeah, they they need a game. Their legs anyway, you know? yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Might see a more liberal use of the bench, maybe. Yeah. So come that semi-final, then Michael, how how optimistic would you be of Ulster's chances of getting into a, a Pro 14 final here? Probably more optimistic than if they were playing Leinster in that semi-final. <laughs> but, yeah. um, or even I Munster? Is it better to play Edinburgh than, than Munster? Yeah, I, well, I would have thought so. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, I think, to note that the, if they play Munster, it'll be in Thoman Park. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, if they play Edinburgh, it'll be in Murrayfield. So, but like, don't think that home advantage won't matter, because thanks to... Uh, <laughs> 
the FAI needing X amount of days before the Nations League should that game happen, which again is another thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monster will be playing in Thoman Park if they if they have a home semi because it can't be in the Yeah. And Ulster obviously have a fairly horrendous record in Thoman Park of late if you discount the surprise win in twenty fourteen in the quarter final. The unforgettable quarterfinal, which everybody remembers of those two games, but they haven't won outside of those two games, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. So, whereas they do have experience of winning very recently in a way to Edinburgh, so I think mm-hmm. mentally you'd probably rather play Edinburgh. Plus, let's not overlook the fact that Munster have added two World Cup winners here yeah. uh, <laughs> since we last saw them. So, so can, Ulster, can this Ulster team, without those four players, win in Murrayfield? Um, I think so. I think they can. I thought they actually had a fairly robust chance of uh, winning the competition before those injuries. I think now it'll be incredibly, incredibly tough. Mm. But if you look at how difficult it is to win a double, like mm-hmm. it's happened an awful lot more recently with Saracens and Leinster, but it's incredibly difficult to do because invariably... When you've got Europe coming up, you're more or a European final coming up, or one just in the rearview mirror, you're more likely to take your eye off the ball in the league. We saw that for years with Leinster. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did think there was a possibility, and that's not to say that Leinster are going to breeze past Saracens in the quarterfinal, but I did think there was a possibility that Ulster could get the right of the final and play a Leinster that would be more focused on Europe. Yeah. But. I think they'd have to be at full strength or close to full strength to combat the depth that Leinster have. Because at the end of the day, you're talking about the best team in Europe. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about Leinster, you know, that's the that's the obstacle. Yeah. Well, look, wouldn't it be great to be worrying about it come uh, this this time next month or so? So, a few more listener questions that we haven't yet addressed in the course of our conversations. Tom Stewart asks, what's the latest on Johnny Stewart? Presumably, they are not related, or else he would just have asked him himself. But, of course, uh, Johnny Stewart, as we had discussed at the start of the summer, was not in, or was included in the Ulster squad list. But, as Tom rightly points out, he wasn't in the squad photo that was released earlier this week. The socially distant squad photo. Because it was quite a wide photo. <laughs> yeah, so, maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe, maybe Baker just took a bad photo. Pardon? They could be related, but just not speaking. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, potentially, potentially. So, but, socially distant, you know, could be a different household. <laughs> yeah. So what? No, sorry. Uh, whenever we spoke about the squad that was announced by Ulster, whenever we did what podcast, I don't know, was that May? Yeah, April? I think it was May. Um. Sometime between Tiger King and the last dance, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We said that we were surprised to see one player on there, and he may even be surprised to uh, see himself on there. Obviously, I think it's uh, pretty clear that the guy that we were talking about there was Johnny Stewart. So um, it was as we expected. Like he was in the middle of um, sort of negotiating, not being here anymore, and isn't here anymore. So. Okay. Like even Dan, you know, when Dan was speaking about the scrum halves yesterday, he actually mentioned you uh, may actually mention Lewis Finley, mm-hmm. and as somebody that was impressing alongside uh, the group. Mm-hmm. So, Johnny Stewart is not an Ulster player now; he just hasn't been officially released. Well, this happens sometimes, you know. Like 
know, Tommy O'Hagan was playing for Rainey in the middle of last season while he was still listed as an Ulster player, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess sometimes these things just... Uh, it works the other way too. Rob Herring got a new contract that nobody ever told mentioned. <laughs> I remember yeah, I think, a few years ago. Yeah, I, th- I think that happened like maybe the week before or two weeks before yeah. Anscombe left and Humphrey left. Yeah. I was just kind of it. It was like... Got a bit forgotten about, yeah. <laughs> everyone was panicked that he was signing for somebody else and then he was just still there pre-season. <laughs> and Tommy O'Hagan, who Tom Stewart also asked about, is also gone then? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's like he's back playing for Rennie without any pomp or fanfare. Okay, we so... talked about this at the time, I think. Anyway, I okay. think we talked about that. Okay, yeah. he was now released to play his rugby with the yeah. Rennie Boys. Okay, so Kenny Gad asks, which Ulster players could we see as wild cards for the Ireland squad come October? Robert Balakun would have been in there, but maybe he's not even a, a wild card anymore. But yeah, just well, as see, we said earlier, so disappointing for him. Yeah, who do you consider a wild card? Because like Balakun and Tom O'Toole would have been your sort of bolter picks, if you like, mm-hmm. um, this time last year maybe. But they've maybe don't maybe aren't wild cards anymore. Yeah. Um, I think obviously with the sort of sad news about uh, Joey Carberry's continuing injury struggles coming yeah. out yesterday, you have to look at ten. So whoever is the most impressive ten at Ulster in the next month mm-hmm. has a really really good chance of being on the bench for that Italy game or if you want to take it even further if Leinster get to the semi sorry if Leinster get to the final of Europe and Ulster don't then there's a real chance that whoever's starting at Ulster and possibly even whoever is the backup at Ulster mm-hmm. or Ireland starter and backup for the resumption of the Six Nations so yeah. If Burns, and again, not somebody who's been in the squad, or Madigan, somebody has 30 caps, count as a bolter, um, then I'll go with them. <laughs> does that count? I don't know. Fair enough. We can set our own parameters. Let's say it does count. Michael, have you any... That's a fair shout from Michael. What's that? I, Rob Little, who Michael's spoken about, you know, if he gets in amongst the tries. Throw him in. Um, I'm sure, you know, Stuart McCluskey again, you know... Uh, you would think will be will be there. You'd like to think will be there. <laughs> yeah. um, and if he's not there, well, if not know, now, then when? Yeah, exactly, then when? And and you know, you know, Jack McGrath, perhaps Marty Moore. I mean, you know, I think as you said, Johnny, the starter for Ulster and the backup could be in a situation. Could be. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're not they're not exactly leaping off the page at you, are they? I suppose mm-hmm. it's, it's really the ten. The ten yeah. is, is is the focus. Where Absolutely. somebody might come through, I think. Yeah. Like Jack McGrath, I think um, he wouldn't be a surprise by any means. Yeah, he's the most capped player in the Ulster squad. But um, I just, I, I just think he might have a monster, a monster season. I think um, it was obviously going to take him a while to one settle and then two win his form back, three get over the injury that he sustained in the was it the bath the monster and the bath game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I think I think he'll have a he'll have a big season. <laughs> just to mention absolutely everybody like I don't think we mentioned anybody that or I don't think we're gonna end up not mentioning anyone that is Irish qualified. But Eric O'Sullivan could have a bounce back um, sort of admitted himself that he had a few more struggles in the scrum last year, but maybe just that break and coming back refreshed. 
you know, we might see him back at the level that he was at in his in his first year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about uh, Luke Marshall? If he continues this form, could he, oh, he return? Yeah, yeah. Well. Um, he was playing very, very well. Um, really throughout, uh, I was going to say last season, but we really need to decide whether we're going to call it last season or this season. <laughs> this, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he was playing really, really well, and he's a guy that you would like to see. Um, get a bit of fortune in that regard after yeah. after the injuries he's been through. Um, but yeah, I think we may have literally mentioned it. <laughs> I think we have. Yeah, yeah I think I'm we have. kind of struggling to think if there's anybody who we haven't. Mm. Yeah. Just in case there's any injuries and he comes in and press, let's just throw James Hume's name Jody in there, just in case. You never know. Jody Murphy, <laughs> no. The, the fact of the matter is that if Ulster get knocked out of Europe and Leinster <laughs> make the final, then... Yeah. Any Irish qualified player who is playing has a has a chance. Yeah, yeah you could see a completely bizarre team. Uh, yeah, take the field against Italy. Yeah, it will be a really interesting one and uh, one to watch. To sum that up, I think we'll just say uh, watch the ten and anybody else. Uh, Dono, then the weekly Dono a little bit uh, uh, off the out of the box with this one as usual, but he uh, points out that Ulster's academy seems to have turned a corner in the last two or three. Seasons with a number of really exciting players produced. What has changed to make the academy more successful? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the returns are still so early. Like, with the exception of Bowakun, who's an outlier. Like, I suppose the much-talked-about progress in the academy, we haven't seen anybody really force their way into the starting team mm-hmm. yet if you assume that McGrath and Moore are still the starting props but obviously in terms of depth it's been a huge boost to see um, some of these guys coming through and then the exciting crop this year that um, again I'd be interested to see what the, um, Michael thinks but this is probably the most exciting academy crop from a schools rugby perspective since uh, that three in a row um, interesting a while back. Um, talking to Mike Laurie a while ago about this, or about something in this vein, he really thought that a huge difference was basically coming into that NTS panel at the age of 16. So, you know, you have basically three summers I think together as a group by and large and obviously some people fall away some people come in but by and large you have those that time together before you're even into the academy and it's almost like you're getting a head start now and like you're never going to have the situation that you have in Leinster where you have what essentially amounts to eight privately funded of academies producing all your players like that's not going to happen but if you can get these players into an environment that little bit earlier then I think that's going to help and I'm sorry I think that certainly has helped from talking Mm -hmm. to talking to some of the guys then another part that I would probably point out is that it's also just an exceptionally talented group in terms of Mm -hmm. school players like you can tell a lot of these players in school, we're going to uh, go on to make their mark in the academy. 
and that's something that you don't really have too much control over mm-hmm. up until these guys are the age of 15, 16. And I suppose finally, when you look at the intake, you know, you look at that instant intake and you talk about the, you know, the Wallace intake of this year, you also talk about guys that have worked with Dan Sober throughout school and worked with yeah. Derek Suffern throughout school. So you have guys mm-hmm. that um, have got very, very good, high quality coaching throughout school. So there's that aspect to it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. The quality that, that school's coaching is really interesting impact, uh, impact no, on it all. It will be very interesting to see how the likes of Ruben Crothers, Nathan Dogan, Ben Carson do go. They mm-hmm. are highly rated. I'm not entirely sure, though, are Ulster A likely to play this year? Mm, not sure. It, it, it's yeah. usually quite a, you know, a useful barometer to see how they're they're going, you know, as opposed to necessarily playing regularly for their uh, whatever clubs they're assigned to. Yeah. And that will be interesting. Uh, one person, of course, we've completely forgotten about it, don't know, is Aaron Sexton, and I'm really not sure mm-hmm. um, where Aaron is at the moment. I know he's in the academy, but again, we were talking this time last year, we would have been bigging him up as somebody who's who had to, to break through and it hasn't happened. Yeah. So a lot of the, you know, a lot can happen with these guys. Um, but it's still fair to say it is a very talented group of, of players there. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not sure who's going to come in and help Kieran Campbell with Willie Anderson gone now. I'm not sure who that is necessarily going to be. But um, that will also be an important part of their growth, if you like, to the next level. Another player, I think he was already there, we haven't talked about, is Tom Stewart, who is talked. He's already been in the academy, I think, this is the second year, I'm not sure. Yeah. He's also talked as a very, very promising player uh, coming through at Hooker, mm-hmm. uh, which would be a good time, really, very much for that. It'll also be interesting to see how he goes this year, if they have a look at him at any stage, yeah. uh, apart from, say, with um, the likes of Ulster A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that, that second year group, you know, you've got Tom Stewart and then uh, David McCann as well, who's obviously captain in mm-hmm. Ireland under 20s to what it looked like it was going to be a really successful campaign before rugby stopped so um, he was playing 8 and obviously with like Ruben Crothers looking so much like he could be the future at 7 um, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see one if Dave McCann gets any time this year and where he gets it and obviously like we're talking about October November time you know mm. obviously not in the next couple of weeks but like whenever you lose players to Ireland and you've got uh, those hopefully the next season of Pro 14 to come. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, pretty much us for this week then. Time's up. And uh, let's hope by the time you're listening to this, the monster test results haven't rendered the whole thing absolutely pointless. And hopefully next time next week, we will be back with some rugby to look back on. So from this week, from Michael Sadler. Bye. Jonathan Bradley. Cheers. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.